What makes you want to shout? Think about it for a minute. When was the last time you shouted? <laughs> I was doing some shouting last night. Football season upon us, and it certainly is a time for shouting. There will be a whole lot of shouting going on. Uh, shouts of excitement and also shouts of disgust. Why, why is there shouting concerning football? Yeah, because it's a passion. Football is a Get your hand down, Alabama. <laughs> my son-in-law's bringing up my grandson wrong, 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 wrong. <laughs> but uh, football is a big passion, especially down here in the, in the, in the south. Uh, again, last night I was doing some shouting at Five Star Stadium, Mercer Stadium, as my Warner Robins Demons put a whooping on the historic Valdosta Wildcats program. I heard you got you played in your first game, Sam. I bet there was I bet there's some shouting going on when you got that sack. <laughs> but uh, there's a lot of shouting going on with with. You know, with baseball, another passion I have is baseball. When, when my Braves get that walk-off hit or home run, there's some shouting in my house. Uh, when our closer gives up a three-run run, there's also some shouting, but it's not the, the exuberant kind. <laughs> uh, fishing, speaking of fishing, when I'm out with my buddies and we get that big fish in the boat, we're shouting, we're high-fiving, we're having a good time. When that big fish gets off the line, there's also some shouting. <laughs> you know, but when it comes to passion, when it comes to passions, uh, uh, I tell you, the passion of my life is my family, my wife, my three kids, my ten grandkids. I want to tell you, with three kids and ten grandkids, there's a whole lot of shouting going on. But when I think about the Lord, the Lord's not a passion. The Lord is the passion. These other things are a passion. You know, you get passionate about the game, but you go on the next day, you forget it, you just go about your business or whatever. Certainly, your, your family is always a passion in your life. But when it comes to the Lord... The Lord is the passion of my life. It is the passion that weaves its way into every uh, part of my life, every passion of my life. You can't separate the passion from anything in my life. The Lord is my passion. Now I get passionate about sports and I get especially passionate about my family. But when I think about the Lord, as the old song says, but when I think about the Lord, how He saved me, how He raised me, how He filled me with the Holy Ghost, how He healed me to the uttermost, when I think about the Lord, how He picked me up, He turned me around, He placed my feet on solid ground, the song says, it makes me want to shout, Hallelujah, thank you Jesus, Lord you're worthy of all the glory, of all the honor and all the praise. There's a different kind of shouting when you think about the Lord. It's a life-changing shouting. 
You know, and it doesn't stop with me just wanting to shout. When I think about the Lord and I want to shout, it doesn't just stop there. I want the whole world to join me in knowing the Lord and shouting to the Lord. It's not just something I want to keep to myself. That's why I identify with the psalmist in Psalm 100 when he says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with, sing thanks, with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is set good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth, which means faithfulness, endures to all generations. Now in this psalm we see a call to worship, then reasons for worship. Then we see another call to worship, then more reasons for worship. The way we're going to do it in the message is we're going to look at the call to worship the Lord in verses 1 through 3a and then verse 4. And then we're going to look at the reasons to worship. First of all, the call to worship the Lord. We see there is to be a we are to joyfully shout. Joyfully shout. Make a joyful shout. Now, the, 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 the uh, terminology here would be one of such when a victorious king would be returning with his army from battle and the people would lift up joyous shouts. Now, think about World War II when that was over. Now, contrary to belief, I was not living at that time, but my parents were. And the stories they told me and the pictures I've seen and the videos I've seen, there was what? Joyful shouts when our soldiers came back home. And one, not just a war that saved our nation, but a war that saved the world. There was joyous shouting. Make a joyful shout. Again, it's the idea of a, uh, of a conquering king with his army returning home. I want to tell you this. We worship the victorious King of kings and Lord of lords who defeated sin, Satan, death, hell, and the grave for us. And every time we come together, that's who we're worshiping. That's why it says, shout joyfully to the Lord. Make a joyful shout to the Lord. And you would say, well, how do we do that? How do we make a joyful shout to the Lord? Well, one thing I like to say a lot is yes. A lot, yes. I say that in, in sports, yes or whatever. But I, yes is something I like to say. What about amen? Say amen, shout amen, right? What about glory? Glory! It feels good people say glory. Shout glory. And then hallelujah is another one. Hallelujah. And you can do a double. Glory hallelujah. <laughs> but to shout to the Lord. Listen, people think church ought to be a quiet place. I want to tell you something. Heaven's not a quiet place. There's a whole lot of shouting going on in heaven. We know that, right? We've, given picture, we've been given pictures in Scripture of what it's like in heaven. And the holy angels of God are shouting what? Holy, 
Holy, holy is the Lord. They're, they're saying, you are worthy, Lord. You are worthy, the Lamb. You are worthy to receive glory and honor and praise. And, and uh, there's a lot of shouting. Heaven is not a quiet place. Now, I'm, I do know that we're not heaven. And there's a time and place for shouting. As Ecclesiastes tells us, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. It goes on to say there's a time to weep and there's a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. Even a time to shout. It's not at 6 a.m. in the morning when you're trying to wake up your spouse. Not a time to shout. I've done that before. Sandra did not appreciate it. Said I almost gave her a heart attack. But, that being said, I do think worship services should be characterized by what? Joyful shouts. Joyful shouting. There should be that. Yet there are times when we need to have a solemn assembly. There are times for that. But I think the characterization of our worship services should be shouting. Baptists are so worried about being uh, Pentecostal that they don't shout. But there's shouting's involved in it. We need to be uh, Baptocostal is what I call it. Baptocostal. But a joyful shout to the Lord. And uh, the reason there's not a lot of shouting like there is in heaven is because proximity. Proximity. What do you mean, Jay? Well, where are the angels in proximity to the Lord? Around His throne, around His presence, they seem. Our proximity is dependent upon what? Our worship of the Lord. Our focus on Him. We talked about prayer, our prayer life, our Bible study, our scripture memorization. That's all the proximity that we get. And when we're not really in, we're not in close proximity to the Lord through prayer, through Bible study, through scripture memory, through meditation, we're not going to be doing a lot of it. So people who don't shout, it's a proximity issue. They're not very, they're not very close. Because the closer you get to the Lord, the more what? The more shouting, joyful shouting there will be. It says, joyfully shout to the Lord. Gladly serve the Lord. Gladly serve the Lord. When's the last time you've been to Chick-fil-A? Recently? What do they say? What does that say? It's my pleasure to serve you. <laughs> it's, and they seem like they mean it. It's my pleasure to serve you. Well, shouldn't we be saying that to the Lord? It's my pleasure. To, shouldn't we say that to the body of Christ? Christ, it's my pleasure to serve you. Gladly serve. All right, preacher. We have to do a whole lot of arm twisting, don't we? To get people to serve the Lord in His church. Right? Seems like it's more arm twisting than the other. We have to feel like we have to guilt people into serving the Lord. If it takes arm twisting, if it takes guilt to get you to serve the Lord, something is very wrong, my friend. We should gladly serve the Lord. And it's not just what we do for the Lord at church. It's what we do for the Lord 24 hours a day. Seven days a week all through our life. 
Colossians 3.23 says, And whatever you do, do as unto the Lord and not to men, for you serve the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, everything you do, everything, you are serving the Lord and you're to serve the Lord what? Gladly. You're glad to do it. Then there's jointly singing. Jointly singing. It says, come before His presence with singing. Now the context here is the temple because we see all in verse 4 it talks about entering to His gates and to His courts, the temple. That's the context here. Now what we need to understand is that in the Old Testament, God had a temple for His people. God had a temple for his people. But in the New Testament, it's reverse. God has a people for his temple. You got that? Write it down and dwell on that for a little bit. It's not a place that we come to. It's the people that have gathered together. Again, he had a temple for his people in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he has a people for his temple. We are his temple. It's the gathered body of Christ. They came to a building. We come to a gathered body of Christ. Now we happen to be in a building, but it's not about the building. It's about the people of God. Man, we can worship God under a tree just as well as we can worship God in a place. And I'm glad we're in air conditioned. <laughs> I like that. I not, I like, I, but when the weather is right, there's nothing I enjoy more than being outdoors. Preacher, we need to do some more outdoor worship services. I love it being outdoors when the weather's right. But I want to let you know, people, there's some awesome worship going on throughout the world with church assembled in uh, grass huts on dirt floors. And they're worshiping God with a passion we know little of. There's probably some Afghani Christians that are meeting together in secret places, not in the most comfortable place right now. And they're worshiping the Lord under severe threats. Jointly sing. Come before His presence with singing. Again, the context is corporate worship, but i got a question for you. How do you come before the, His presence in the assembled body of Christ on Sunday mornings? How do you come? I know how some of you come with kids. They're shouting involved. <laughs> Don't make me stop this car. <laughs> Don't let me pull this over. You gotta stop it right now. <laughs> How do you come before his presence in the gathered church on Sunday mornings? Let me ask you, what have you been singing all week? Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. But if that's not your style, maybe it's gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery, right? What have you been singing all week? That kind of reminded me when I was meditating on this, I thought about, hey, we all do it from time to time, don't we? We sing the blues. God's people, the nation of Israel, they were not immune to that either. It reminded me of Psalm 137. The context of one, Psalm, 31, Psalm 137 is this. God's people had again and again and again turned their backs on the Lord, worshipped other idols, 
And God eventually brought them to their knees, sent the Cambodians, uh, the Cambodians, excuse me, the Babylonians, <laughs> the Babylonians to uh, judge them, destroy them, destroy the temple, and take the remaining, uh, most of the remaining people back to captive in Babylon. It wasn't a good time to be God's chosen people because God's chosen people had turned their backs on the Lord. And Psalm 137 was written out of that. And the psalmist wrote these words, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. Zion. The Mount Zion where the temple was. That's gone. Not only is it gone, it was destroyed. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. They weren't playing their music anymore. For those who had carried us away captive asked us for a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. They were mocking them. Sing us one of your church songs now. Then he concludes, How shall we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? How shall we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? People, that's exactly what we are supposed to do. We're in a foreign land. We're in this world. This is not our home. We ought to sing songs in a foreign land where they're kind of against us. Where they're mocking us. Where they're ridiculing us. Reminded of that great hymn, It is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. You know, circumstances should not be the determining factor of our joy, of our worship. You know, life is often hard. I know, at times we, we get down. I know a heard of a preacher talk about one time a lady came to him and said, Preacher, I want you to know I don't have a discouraging bone in my body. And he said to her, I, I, I know why you don't. And she said, why? He said, because you have a lying tongue in your mouth. People, we all get down. We all get down. I'll tell you, there's been times I've been down, down, doobie-doo, down, down. You know what I'm talking about? Those times come. I'm being honest with you. Life is hard. And especially for believers. You think because you're a believer in the Lord that life should be easy? It's going to be even more difficult. Not only will you have just the normal hardships that comes on everybody, you're going to have the hardships that come with following Christ. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. Either in this life or the next, you're going to be delivered. We're not only called to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His name's sake. The Bible says, but anyone who lives godly in Christ Jesus could possibly perhaps suffer, no, shall suffer persecution. But this life is not our destination. 
It's not our final destination. We're on the march, people, as the army of God. We're on to a march where? To a better place, a better city. I think about that old, that old gospel hymn. You know, yeah, I couldn't believe I didn't know a th uh, over a thousand tongues. And I was thinking about that hymn as I was preparing for the message. I used to misinterpret that song, Oh, for a thousand tongues. I, I thought it was saying, Oh, for a thousand tongues. If we just had a thousand people join in together and sing, and I was that member of Second Baptist Church, we probably had around 500. And I said, Boy, that'd be great to double it if we had a thousand tongues. But that's not what the song meant. The song writer meant. Oh, if I, if I could only have a thousand tongues so I can sing with a thousand tongues. Both sentiments are good, though. With not only that we should want to be able to sing, but we want others to join, the world to join with us and, and, and sing. But I thought of this song, too, as far as that, in context of what we're talking about, that uh, uh, as far as that in this life, you're not singing so much about this life and what the joys it gives, you're singing about the Lord and the joys He gives and where we're going to be one day. This life is not our destination. Like the old hymns, uh, we're marching to Zion. I like what it says. Let, let those refuse to sing who never knew our God. Don't make people go to church. There was a time when you had to go to church. There was a time when people put pressure on you or whatever. But he said, let those refuse to sing who never knew our God. If you don't know our God, we're not going to make you sing. Just sit there, don't sing. Let those refuse to sing who never knew our God. But children of the heavenly king, but children of the heavenly king may speak their joys abroad, may speak their joys abroad. We're marching where? To beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. Amen. That's where we're going. That's what our song is about. Not necessarily this life. This is not our destination. Now, I don't know where you are right now, my friend. And if, if you're in a dark, hurtful place, I, I, I hate that. Now, we get there from time to time. But my question is, where are you going it's not as much where you are now, but it's where are you going? Where are you heading? Got a question for you. Is your country going to hell in a handbasket? It's not good, is it? Is your ultimate march, though, toward a great country on earth? I mean, we want to have a great country. I believe, try to make America great again. I'm all making, making something great, right? I'm not against that. Are you, but is that what you're marching toward? A better kingdom in this life? Is your health and your wealth and your banking account going down like the president's poll numbers? Are you marching, as Joel Osteen would say, to your best life now? Is that what you're marching to? You want to have your best life now? I think about, I uh, also thought about Hebrews chapter 11. The great hall of faith. God's hall of faith. God's hall of fame. It's all about faith. 
And I thought about this passage. I'm going to share it with you in Hebrews chapter 11. You know, Abraham was what? He was marching, wasn't he? What was he marching for? God said, get up from where you are and go to a place I will show you. Can you imagine guys telling your wife, God told us we, we, we got to get up and go. So where are we going? I don't know. We're just going to start going. <laughs> and that's what he did. He led his family. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Exactly. By faith, he dwelled in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Do you want a man-built city or do you want a God-built city? You're not going to get a God-built city in this life. That's coming in the next. And the promised land they were heading for was just a picture, a shadow of the ultimate truth for the church and for God's ultimately ultimate new heaven and new earth for us to live with Him in forever. And it goes on to say, these all died in faith not having received the promise. The promises. But having seen them afar, they were assured of them, they embraced them, and confessed they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. People, I want a better, I want a better home than you can get here on this world. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now, they desire a better place. That is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. What are you marching to? I'm marching to Zion. You know, I don't want this country to go to hell in a handbasket, but, you know, I can't... Oh, I'll do the best I can to help this country, but I'm not about building this king, world's kingdom. I'm about building the other kingdom. About being a part of that. And therefore we sing. We are to be a singing people. Corporately and Privately. I would say privately before corporately. That's why I ask you, how do you come to the gathered church? It says, come before my presence. How do you come to, before God's presence in His gathered body? Don't come to church to get your pump primed. You prime your pump before you get to church. But a lot of people come to church like, they sit back, well, singer, song leader, what you going to do for me to get my heart stirred? Preacher, what you going to say to get my heart? Your, heart? your heart should be stirred before you get here. What would church be like if God's people were singing in their hearts and marching to Zion with their families as they came to church and their pumps were already primed? They're already worshiping. They came worshiping. What would worship service be like? 
Don't come to church to get your pump primed. You, you come with your pump primed already. And then clearly see. Clearly see. That's another thing that uh, the call to worship. We need to clearly see. Yada is the Hebrew word which means to know. It says know that the Lord is God. It means to clearly see. To know. To properly ascertain by seeing. People, we, really need, we need to see clearly who God is. How do we see that? Through His revealed description in His Word. We need to clearly see who God is according to God. And that's the problem with a lot of Christians today in churches. We have bad theology. Very poor theology. Such we have low, you know why we have low worship? Because we have low theology. Matter of fact, uh, uh, I think I might, is this in the notes? We need sound theology prevents self-centered meology. That's the theology of the, the theology of the church today, which study of. Theos is God. Theology is study of God. Meology is the study of me. It's all about me. That's why a lot of worship services. People come to churches because the church is going to tell, the, the pastor is going to preach about them. The song's going to be about them. Oh, how God loves me. Oh, how God loves me. It's me, me, me. Right? And there's, there's, there's truth to that, that God does love us. But they, they make it all about the people. Sound theology prevents self-centered meology, the study of me. Making everything about me. What is God going to do for me? What God didn't do for me. Everything rises on what God does or doesn't do for me. Or whether I liked it. I don't like the way they do this at the church. I wish they wouldn't do this. I like this song. Or I like... Is it really about the song you like or is it the one that God likes? If you can't say amen, say oh me. Too many churches and too many Christians sing in one key. Me, 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 me. And I, I, this is write this down, people. Write this down. This came to my mind as we were as I was studying and preparing. Those who make much of God will not make much of themselves. You got so many people leaving church because they don't appreciate me down there at the church. They didn't stroke me enough. They didn't talk to me enough. They didn't do this for me enough. You know why they left? Because they went to the church of me. And they made it all about them. Here's what I found out is that those who make much of God will not make much of themselves. It won't be about... Because it's not about you. It's about Him. Now, as the body of Christ, we should tend to one another. We should encourage one another. We're here to build one another up. But ultimately, it's about the Lord. It's not... I come to church. What are they going to do for me today? That's what most people attend. What are they going to do for me today? Now we do need to do something for you. We do. But why don't you ask, what can I do for the church today for the glory of God, to bless God's heart and to bless the people of God's heart? Those who make much of God will not make much of themselves. Publicly think. We need to publicly think. After we clearly see, we need to publicly think. Give thanks. And it says, uh, uh, 
Enter his gates with what? Thanksgiving. That's the outer. That's the outer part. You're still outside the temple. You're going into the gate. And then to his courts with praise. So publicly thank. You're, you're to express your thanksgiving to God. What? Verbally, out loud, publicly. What does your giving thanks do for others? It encourages them. And it blesses the heart of God. But not only should you just give thanks publicly among God's people, I think we need to be out there in the world giving thanks to God publicly. Giving publicly, giving thanks publicly to God among, among the heathen. Talk of God. You talk of God here. Use God language here. Why don't you use God language at, on the job? I'm not talking about, you know, too, you know, overly, but we can use it there. You can... Is it allowed? I mean, does God permit you to say thank God out in public? I mean, in a, in a way you really mean it, not like people who don't even care about God say it. Praise God. Thank God publicly. I got a question for you. What, what, what can you thank God for? There are more things to thank God for than you have seconds to speak in a day. Here's this question for you. Are you ready for this? I really want you to think about this, all right? Think deeply about this. If God only gave you the things today that you thanked Him for yesterday, what would you have today? Think about it. If God only gave you the things today that you had thanked Him for yesterday, what would you have today? Some of us wouldn't be living. Did you thank God for your life yesterday? He gave you another day to, to wake up, a breath in your lungs? Think about that. But yet, how many things has God given you today that He gave you yesterday, the day before, the week before, the month before, the year before, that we even fail to thank Him for? And yet He keeps giving them. Publicly thank Him. Publicly praise Him. It says, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. That's a, the blessing means to praise God. To bless the Lord. We always talk about God bless America. Well, America, why don't you bless God? Amen? It's time for America to think about blessing God. It's time for us to think about blessing God. We ask God to bless people and we should. But we, we should be about blessing God. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Now, and that's what we need as a church to be focused on, blessing the Lord. But most churches are, are focused on impressing the people. Impressing the people. Uh, look, at, look at roast churches. It seems like everything's geared up impressing the people. They want to make a... Uh, it's not like... I, I don't think we want to make a bad first impression. <laughs> Do we, we should... We shouldn't want to do that. But our focus should be more on blessing God than impressing people. Again, I'm not saying we should not be concerned about people. But the ultimate concern about blessing the Lord. And so, but we're concerned about impressing people. We're, we're not going to be first and foremost about God-centered. Because if, if we're going to impress people... There's some things about God we're not we're going to need not to say. 
And those are going to be some attributes of God we're going to need to focus on and some other attributes that we're going to, we're going to kind of steer away from if we would impress people. But we're to bless the Lord publicly. And then as we uh, come to the, the second part, the reasons to worship the Lord. And we see that in verses 3 and 5. Reasons why? He is God. That's it. That's what we need to know right there. He is God. We exist for Him, not vice versa. God does not exist for us. He's God. We exist for Him. We are here for His pleasure. He is not here for our pleasure. He is God. We are not. And yet we've, we have um, a lot of uh, progressive ideology and pragmatic pragmatistic ideology that's creeping its way into the church today which makes it all about people rather than about God and it's not just in the church I read about a, uh, a rabbi who was grew up orthodox became an atheist kind of came back again and became a rabbi of a pop-up synagogue. And I guess what this is, it's like coffee shops that pop up. You have these pop-up synagogues. It's in New York, New York. And he's a rabbi, and it's, it's, it's drawing a lot of attention in New York City, and it's gaining a lot of notoriety. And uh, they have a, maybe like a mission statement or a purpose statement. Here's what it is. Already, this is, this is what, this is their theme. It's this. Everyone friendly. Three things. Everyone friendly. These are the things we're going to focus on. This is what we're about. Everyone friendly. Number two, artist driven. So we want everybody, regardless, to be kind and nice to everybody. There's nothing wrong with that. Artist driven. We're going to have musicians, I guess dancers, all kinds of artists that are going to be very good at what they're doing. We're going to have, the, we're going to have great art, artistry here. Everyone friendly, artist driven. God optional. God optional. Now to be honest, that sounds like a lot of churches. That sounds like a lot of churches. Oh, we're going, to, we're going to focus on everybody being friendly. Everybody smile. Everybody be friendly. We're going to have the best band in town. We got the best happening worship band. We got the best music. We got the best dancers. We got, we're really going to let everybody, we're going to put on a show, people. And it's like God is optional. You know, at least his synagogue's admitting it. Listen. God is the only one that is not optional. I'm optional. You're optional. These chairs are optional. Air condition's optional. Guitars, drums, piano, optional. I like, the, I like all these options. There's only one that's not optional, and that is who? God. The Lord God. And yet He's the one that's optional. <laughs> Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might, with all of your strength. This is the Shema. That is what they would recite 
And they still do. Most Orthodox Jews, when they gather together. Shema means the Hebrew word for hear. Hear, O Israel. Hear this. Know this. The Lord, your God, is one. And you're to love Him with everything. He is God. God is the only worthy obsession in your life. And you see so many people obsessed with so many. Yes, I'm passionate about football, but I'm not obsessed with it. I keep telling Sandra. I'm not obsessed. Gosh, come on, give me a break. Passionate? Yeah. God is the only worthy obsession in your life. I was just mind-boggled by everybody obsessed over Britney Spears and whether she gets her freedom back or whatever. I mean, it might be an interesting, but everybody just... I mean, there's so many things people get obsessed with. They get obsessed with movie stars and famous people and all this kind of stuff. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. I've got enough things going on in my life to worry about somebody else's life. God is the only worthy obsession in your life. I like what the psalmist said in Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside you. Is that your heart? Does your heart say that? He said, my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is what I have. He is my portion. Whatever else I have is not going to last, but God will last. He is my eternal portion. And I have nothing in heaven or on earth besides thee. Everything else I have is temporary. My hair was temporary. I, I fought it. I, did not, I wanted to keep it. It was temporary. My, I'm seeing my health is temporary. <laughs> you know, uh, my money's temporary. <laughs> you know, when your kids grow up, you get grandkids, you, you think, well, the kids grow up, we're going to have more money. No. <laughs> Things are temporary. But you know what's not? The Lord's not. He's eternal. He's my portion. God is the most, and listen people, He is God. God is the most fascinating, captivating, beautiful, impressive, intriguing subject there is, bar none. And if you don't see that, the problem's not with God. The problem is with you. And people who are not fascinated concerning theology, the study of God, well, I don't need any theology. I just want... Man, you can't know God apart from theology. You can't worship apart from theology. I just want some songs that stir my heart. Well, your heart's probably being stirred by the devil. It's not the Spirit of God. The Bible says test the spirits. There's some spirits out there that move your heart that sometimes aren't God. If you've got to get the right theology. And if God's not interesting to you, the problem's not with God. The problem is with you. You're telling on yourself. made us it says that's another reason why he made us again not vice versa <laughs> you know people want to be God makers they really do we do people want to be God makers I hear people say things like well I like to think of God as how many have you ever heard that before Paul have you ever heard that I like to think of God as <laughs> I'm talking to people about, about, about God and they say, well, well, I know what you're saying, preacher, but I like to think of God as. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Their thoughts are what determine what God is. Yeah. 
It doesn't matter what you like to think. I like to think, Wes, you're going to build me a brand new house for free. You know, I don't care about the lumber process being high now because Wes is going to build it for me for free. I like to think that. Well, isn't it nice to think? It ain't going to happen. <laughs> I wouldn't let him do it. I said, but I like to think. I'd like to think of God as. And people say things like that. Uh, I hear people tell me this also. also. Preacher, I want to let you know, my God would never. My God, what, what do they mean by that? My God would never finish it. Send anybody to hell. My God would never do this or send this or whatever. I don't know whatever plague on human history came from God directly or not. I do know some of them did because we read that in the Bible. I'm not, I'm not a prophet. I'm not going to say that this disease came because of our, our sin or this certain sinful action or behavior. I don't know. It could be. I do know God does things like that. Does it, does it, some, of, some of it's just natural consequences that come from doing things. But my God would never. And I tell them, you know what I tell them? I said, you're exactly right. Your God would never. Because your God doesn't exist. Your God is a figment of your imagination. You made a God in your mind, in your heart. People want to be God makers. You know, another faulty belief is this one. God made you, he, so it says He made us. God made you just the way you are. God made you just the way you are. That's not biblical. But yet preachers preach just all day long. Uh, God made you just the way you are. And He loves you just the way you are. That's not true. God made you. God gave you a lot, but He didn't make you just the way you are. I love the way the little girl in Sunday school answered this when the teacher said, Who made you? And she raised her hand. And she said, God made me. God made me small, but I growed the rest myself. Now, she's a better theologian than a lot of preachers. Yeah, God made you. God gave you life. But you're also a product of, of a lot of decisions you made in life. A lot of the things that happened to you in life. You're also a product of being born in a sinful world where we have physical deformities because of the sin, the curse of sin in the world that came through Adam and Eve. So don't tell people God made you just the way you are. God gave you life. But uh, you're also a product of sin and, and, and you're also a product of some decisions and things that happened to you and you took the wrong way and, and maybe they've caused you to, you know, to, to act out in wrong ways toward others or, or whatever. But God didn't make you just the way you are. You've, you've had part of that. You've, you're part of what you are. The, again, the context is though, though God's actual creation of every human being is understood here, uh, the phrase seems to refer to God's making and blessing Israel as a nation when they say, for He has made us. Yes, individually, but also He made us, and He was saying, as a nation, and God's blessed us as a nation, Israel. And it says here, also, we need to look in our notes, He made us His own. He made us His own. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called, say it, the children of God. Amen? I love it. It talks about we are His people. Awesome! His people. 
His sheep. Now that's a that's an insult, isn't it? I, I, I look at certain people, I call them sheeple. Sheeple. They just fall in the sheep. I mean, the, 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 the false shepherd. I mean, in that way. But I guess I'm a sheeple when it comes to the Lord. <laughs> I'll follow Him without question. His people, His sheep. The Bible refers to us as a kingdom, as a flock, as a fold, as a family. The family of God. You know what Jesus said? He said, I will build my church. We're church. Church means the assembled. The called out ones. I will build my called out ones. He's all about building His church. God builds up the body of Christ. The bride of Christ. The family of God. The kingdom of God. He's about building that. God does not build long-ranger believers. And yet people think they can live the Christian life outside of a church fellowship. He's not building long-ranger believers. He's building the church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Christ loved the church and He shed His blood for the church. And my friend, if you don't love the church, you don't love Jesus. You think you love a Jesus you've created in your mind, but it's not the biblical Jesus because the biblical Jesus is all about the church. But you have people say, well, that's why I gave up on church. And I just try to be a good person. Wow. Uh, I could tell you some stuff about that, but I don't have time. But He made us His own, the family of God. And because He loves the church, I love the church, even when the church is not good to me. But I believe the church must be good to me. They're not, you know, the preacher's not good to me sometimes because he says things that hurts my feelings. He said I said something that hurt his feelings, but he's saying stuff that hurts my feelings all the time. But I, you know, I, because I love the Lord, I love the church. He made us His own. We are His. It's not me. It's we. It's we. He is good. He is good. God's, I like what Mark like. Good, the word good here means grace. Grace. Giving us what we don't, the good we don't deserve. God gives good, goodness that we don't deserve. There's also an I think that God is good, morally good. Everything God does is good, morally perfection. Moral perfection. But it has the idea also of grace, that God gives us the good we don't deserve. Uh, remember this acrostic. God's riches at Christ's expense. I like what Mark Lowry says about God spreading His grace. Mark Lowry said, God spreads His grace like a four-year-old spreads peanut butter. He gets it all over everything. <laughs> and He does. Great before you, you, you don't see it, but grace is all over the place. It's by the grace of God that you're not dead and in hell today. We think we deserve something. If you don't want what you deserve, I don't want what I deserve. That's the last thing I want. Many people questioning God's goodness. Some outright denying that God is good. Why? Because God doesn't give them everything they want and God doesn't agree with everything they do. I have these desires. God made me this way. Why would He make this way and not let me do my desires? I, again, they don't, they don't know who God is. They don't understand that 
that God did give them a life and we all have sinful propensities. That God will give us grace and help for. But uh, they deny it. They deny, question God's goodness and even deny it. Why? They don't understand. They don't understand the bad news. You see, if they understood the bad news, they would really appreciate the good news. And you don't appreciate the good news until you understand the bad news, right? We understand what you are before God and where you're heading. You don't appreciate what God did for us in Christ until you understand the bad news. And God's not going to tell people what they want to hear. God tells people the, and so should we, as we look into the mirror and as we look into the world, tell the truth. You know, when, when you want to help someone, you tell them the... When you want to help yourself, you tell them what they want to hear. There's a whole lot of churches and Christians telling people what they want to hear. God, He's good. He tells the truth. He's morally good. And, be, and, and out of His goodness, He tells us the truth about our situation, our lostness and our sin and our wretchedness and our need for a Savior. And because He's good, He gave us the Lord Jesus Christ who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the very righteousness, the goodness of God in Him, the per moral perfection. See, when I stand before God on the day of judgment, I'm not going to stand as Jay Lawrence and I'm going to stand as the righteousness of Christ. He's my righteousness. It, it, it doesn't get any gooder. <laughs> That's not good. It doesn't get any gooder than that, does it? He is faithful. That word faithful means truth. God uh, is translated truth here, but it means faithfulness. And, and he says this I will never finish it, leave you, nor forsake you. That's his promise. He's faithful. God is always faithful. Listen, are you, are you concerned for the Afghan Christians? Yes. Well, I am. Even my grandson, Cameron, uh, I've already been thinking about it this morning, been thinking about it every day, continually praying about it. On the way here, Cameron brought it up, think, talking about the, uh, the Afghani Christians today. What are they doing? They're, they're targeted for destruction. I think it was 2008, our government made everybody declare their religion on their ID. And when they're Christian, they declare Christians. Guess what? The Taliban's checking. Checking IDs. Guess what the Christians are not doing? They're not changing them. Yeah, I'm concerned. But not for their souls. Amen. Not for their souls. They got some blood washed linen Amen. in a crown that they're going to cast at the Lord's feet and say, You are worthy, O oh Lord. You're concerned about your kids and your grandkids in this country? Where, they, you know, where kids are not allowed to choose the bedtime, but they're allowed to choose their gender? Are you concerned? I'm concerned about my not about my kids, they're adults. I am concerned about my grandkids. What they're going to grow up in. What they're going to face. 
Write this verse down. Romans 8.32. Romans 8.32. Put it back into focus. He who did not spare His own Son, but freely delivered Him up for us, how shall He not alone with Him freely give us all things? He's faithful. He's going to give you everything. He's not going to give you everything you want, but He's going to give you everything you need. And you know what Stephen needed that day? They stoned him to death. You know what Stephen needed? He needed to see Jesus stand for him at the right hand of the Father. And as they were stoning, he said, I see. I see him standing at the right hand of the Father. Yeah, he got the stones. But he got the standing too. How should he love? Listen, he didn't spare his own son for you. He's going to give you all things you need. When I think about his faithfulness in providing our salvation, I love that old hymn. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God disbanded at Calvary. Mercy, there was great. And grace was? Pardon, there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. I conclude with this. This phrase. Here's what we need to do. Behold your God. Behold your God. That's what you need to do today. Song, turn your eyes on Jesus. Behold your God. Now I want you to look into something. Do that on the internet. Google that. You'll come to a study. There's a study called Behold Your God. The best study I've ever done in my life. Behold your God. Maybe we could do that one day. But that, that'll, that'll get your pump prime right there. Just look, look that up. Behold your God. And these are the concluding words of A.W. Tozer. So well said. Listen to this. Write this down. The most important thing about you. The most important thing about you. Is what comes to your mind. The most important thing about you. Is what comes to your mind. When you think about God. Nothing's more important. What comes to your mind. When you think about God. Behold. Your God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we don't have the words to express our gratitude to You. It says, enter your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise. And we are certainly to do that. Forgive us for not having the words. Just help us. Help us to, help us to meditate and get better words. But Lord, we look forward to that day where we enter those very gates and courts of heaven and see you and with the help that you will give us then to give you the thanksgiving and praise you deserve. In the name of Jesus we ask it. Amen. Amen.